0: Is there any realistic prospect that evidence contradicting the official report on the September 11th terrorist attacks will get tested in a court of law? Will Congress finally implement legislation forcing a new investigation into 9-11? Why are firefighters and other first responders joining the call for a new investigation? Do errors in the official technical report on the collapse of World Trade Center 7 speak to a corrupt forensic investigation? On this week's Global Research News Hour radio program, with widespread and growing suspicion that the official explanation of the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, is false. We highlight some of the people, research, and actions that are challenging this account. In our first half hour, Richard Gage, AIA, of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, and Barbara Honegger of the Lawyers' Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, talk about their group's respective efforts and the events of the last week. In our second half hour, we hear part of a speech by Fire Commissioner Christopher Joya a 9-11 first responder speaking at the September 11th news conference at the National Press Club. Then we get technical details about the collapse of Building 7 from Professor Leroy Hulsey, the author of a recently released draft report which appears to discredit the official findings. On this week's program, 9-11 truth and justice 18 years after the attacks, a new study on Building 7, a grand jury investigation, and firefighters speak out. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of September 13th, 2019. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Centre for Research on Globalisation and Campus Community Radio Station, CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on Occupied Anishinaabe the homeland of the Métis Nation and the historical territory of the Nahiwak and the Nakota. We seek to provide our audience access to analysis of some of the major stories shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our show is available as a podcast at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News Site. The USSR was forced to protect itself against the fascists, to protect the revolution that raised the workers and peasants of Russia out of poverty into a new life, a struggle so vividly described in Ilya Ehrenberg's account of the resistance of the Soviet peoples to the Nazi invasion described so well in his novel, The Storm. Yet all across Eastern Europe, monuments to the men and women of the Red Army who died fighting the Nazi armies are desecrated or demolished, while statues to Nazi thugs are raised. And never are the people told that the Nazis were capitalists on a rampage, that they were and are the face of capitalism with the gloves off. No, there is no monument to the crimes of the capitalists. And so now we have films praising the SS, shown to millions of people and not a word said, until now. That comes from the article The Whitewashing of the Nazis by Christopher Black, posted September 11th, originally published at New Eastern Outlook. So unprecedented was the collapse of Building 7 that the government has yet to explain it in 2007. That would probably be lost on most responders on the site who would have the fresh memories of the Twin Towers' explosions to help them accept the notion that the total of collapse of smoking skyscrapers is a natural and even predictable occurrence. Witness reports show that officials who controlled the streets around WTC 7 evacuated the area in the hour before the 5.20 p.m. collapse and that various officials forwarded verbal warnings conveying certainty that the collapse would occur network television broadcasts contain announcements of the collapse at least 23 minutes before the event. This overview of witness accounts shows that the evacuation of the area surrounding WTC7 started sometime around 4 p.m. and was completed only a few minutes before the 520 collapse. That comes from the article 9-11 Truth, Foreknowledge of WTC7's Collapse, originally published at WTC7.net. It is difficult to foresee any negotiation between Iran and the West before November 2020, the date of the U.S. elections. Iran is no longer willing to accept in 2019 what it signed in 2015. Trump is responsible for the new scenario. Destroying the nuclear deal now redounds to the benefit of Iran. There will be a time when the U.S. administration, due to the realization of its ignorance in Iranian affairs, will feel regret and will ask to return to the negotiating table, perhaps after Trump. But conditions will definitely no longer be the same, and it may very well come too late to see Iran accepting what it signed for in 2015. That comes from the article, Will Iran be a full nuclear power by the end of 2020? No return to the 2015 agreement by Elijah J. Magnier, posted September 11th, originally published at the author's website. Terrorism is listed among federal crimes in the U.S. Code. In fact, the Pentagon's upcoming quote-unquote trial in Cuba is itself an acknowledgment that terrorism is, in fact, a criminal offense, one that here is being prosecuted by the Pentagon in Cuba rather than by the U.S. Justice Department in federal district court here in the United States. It is also critically important to recognize that the Constitution does not provide for two separate judicial systems to try criminal cases, one run by the military and the other run by the federal courts. The Constitution provides for only one judicial system for all criminal offenses, including terrorism cases. It is also critically important to recognize that the principles being followed in both systems, the federal court system and the military system, are as different as night and day. That comes from the article... 9-11 9-11 Justice, the Pentagon's Upcoming Kangaroo showchild in Cuba by Jacob G. Hornberger, posted September 11th, originally published at the Future of Freedom Foundation. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. We've once again come upon the anniversary of 9 11, the event sparking the violent and lawless war on terrorism. In the last two years, we've seen progress in a legal process to get evidence relating to that event reviewed by a grand jury. We've seen the release of a draft study re-evaluating the collapse of one of the World Trade Center towers, WTC7. And we've seen a group of firefighters come forward to join the call for a new investigation. To bring us up to speed on the state of the 9-11 truth and justice movement on this 18th anniversary week, we reached out to two individuals very much at the forefront of the fight. Richard Gage, AIA, is the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He joined us from Washington, D.C. Barbara Hunniger is a leading investigator, author, and public speaker on 9-11. Since 1995, she's been senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School and she's a representative of the Lawyers' Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. She joined us from Zurich, Switzerland, where she spoke at a public masterclass on the events of September 11th, alongside Daniel Ganser, Dr. Niels Herrett, and other luminaries. Maybe I'll just start first with you, Richard. There were a number of events taking place, uh, particularly over the last few days. I'm thinking in particular about this uh, news conference on Wednesday, this September 11th, uh, there, there were featured presentations by uh, Fire Commissioner Joya uh, and um, 9-11 victim family member Bob McElvain, yourself, uh, David Meiswinkle of the Lawyers Commission for 9-11 Inquiry. Richard, what uh, or who was present in terms of major media, if I might ask?
1: We have uh, Fox News uh, present um We rarely see CNN, MSNBC, CBS at these events. We certainly uh, invited uh, the whole world's press uh, through an extensive distribution of our press release announcing the project, the the, the press conference. Um, Christopher Joya is one of five commissioners uh, from the Franklin Square Munson Fire District who... Uh, unanimously voted for a resolution demanding a new investigation of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers, uh, the destruction of these uh, skyscrapers on 9-11. And this is an, the first time an elected body has ever done this. Uh, so he led off the press conference composed of four individuals, um, and, and it was powerful. Uh, he, he said, explosives brought these buildings down. We want justice. For Our Fallen Heroes." That's the campaign that he announced at that press conference, 10 o'clock September 11th yesterday morning. It was incredible, powerful, impactful. He was followed by Bob McElveen, son, uh the father of Bobby McIlvain, who lost his life in the towers, and he gave an impassioned plea to, uh, to, inter- to, to congress- congressional officials uh, nearby Capitol Hill to introduce the Bobby McIlvain Act for a new investigation. And then I came up and I in, uh, announced the release of the World Trade Center Building Seven major university study by the uh, University of Alaska who, uh, who just uh, announced uh, the, the release of this four year, $300,000 project, which completely pulls the rug out from underneath the NIST report. And then I was followed by Dave Meiswinkle, president of Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, who announced the legal actions going on. So it was a powerful one, two, three, four punch.
0: So let's talk about that legal uh, inquiry. Barbara, you're part of the group. And um, just help our listeners understand what makes this process distinct. Uh, You've you know, because we listeners, the general public knows about the official investigation headed by Thomas Keane and Lee Hamilton. Uh, it released its findings in August of two thousand four. Case closed. Talk about what your group has triggered. You know, in that process and where it's leading.
2: Thank you. Let's start with the the first major legal action, which was on April tenth of last year, twenty eighteen. The Lawyers Committee for nine eleven Inquiry, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to um, identifying getting to the public the uh, truth and transparency of what really happened at all of the crash sites uh, on 9/11 and bringing justice uh, to identify and bring justice to the real perpetrators so our first legal action was in April of last year 2018 when the lawyers committee of which I'm on the board there's six board members uh, we filed a an official petition demanding a federal criminal grand jury with the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York uh, to open, reopen the investigation of the real causes of the collapses of both the Twin Towers and World Trade Center 7 at Ground Zero on 9-11. And to our pleasant surprise, uh, on November 7th of last year, 2018, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York sent us a formal letter Uh, stating that they would comply with the law, and the law explicitly requires them, that's USC uh, 18233, section 3332, the law, the federal law, formally requires them to convene the special criminal grand jury and present all of the lawyers' committee evidence on what really happened at the World Trade Centers 1, 2, and 7 on 9-11 to the newly convened federal criminal grand jury. So we have to assume that that is going forward. Now, interestingly, over the past almost a year, our Lawyers Committee Executive Director and President and Litigation Director have called and emailed the U.S. Attorney's Office asking if the grand jury has, in fact, been convened, and if it has, have they actually, in fact, followed the law and presented all of our petition and the 57 appended evidentiary exhibits, which are part of the, to an actual newly convened federal criminal, special criminal grand jury. And we have been told over this past year, almost, that, gee, we'd like to be able to tell you, but there's grand jury secrecy rules and we just can't. Well, um, we're not willing to accept that. So what the Lawyers Committee did about a week ago was our litigation director and co-counsel for the New York City federal jurisdiction of the courts there filed what's called a mandamus complaint or a mandamus demand. What that means, mandamus is kind of uh, Latin for um, federal official, do your mandatory duty. So the word mandamus comes from our word mandatory or non-discretionary duty. So we have demanded uh, that the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York um, reply to us through the court where we filed this, this demand To number one, disclose certain documents as much as they are required to do, especially what are called uh, ministerial uh, administrative documents, which should be able to show us that the grand jury has in fact been convened and that our petition and evidentiary exhibits have been given to the grand jury. Um, If the answer comes back, yes, we have, then we'll be satisfied. We just have to wait. Um, However, if it comes back and it says, that gee, uh, they haven't convened that thing yet, or they've convened it and no, we haven't uh, given your entire petition exhibits to the grand jury. Then the same legal uh, action demands uh, uh, a mandamus, and what that means is we're at we would be asking at that point the judge to order the U.S. Attorney's Office to do so. So we just did that, and the other major. Uh, action, legal action, that the Lawyers Committee has taken, um, not that long ago, um, on March 25th. Uh, The Lawyers Committee uh, and Architects and Engineers uh, were joint plaintiffs along with two 9-11 victims' family members, um, Bob McElvain, and also another 9-11 victims' family member. Uh, We sued the U.S. Attorney um, the excuse me, the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, William Barr, and also FBI Director Ray, we sued them uh, to um, uh, for the cover up of what's called the 9/11 Review Commission. And in one nutshell sentence, what is the 9/11 Review Commission? Uh, about ten years, a little bit before after the um, 9/11 Commission report uh, was made public and published in the summer. Of 2004, about a little under 10 years later, Congress, unbeknownst to most of the public, passed a new law uh, in which the Congress required uh, the formation of a new commission called the 9-11 Review Commission, i.e. to review uh, anything that the FBI and other federal agencies, but predominantly the FBI, had learned about their ongoing to this day. Continuing investigation of the 9-11 attacks and everything related to it that either wasn't in the 9-11 Commission report published 10 years earlier or that had been learned by the FBI and the federal government since. And, of course, when the 9-11 Review Commission report came out, just like the 9-11 Commission report itself 10 years earlier, it was a complete and total whitewash cover-up. And so the Lawyers Committee this March 25th, 2019, sued the FBI director and the U.S. Attorney General to demand a reopening of the 9-11 Review Commission and for them to, again, do their duty and to, at a very minimum, include in their new updated report all of the information that uh, on what really happened, uh, not only at the World Trade Center, but also the Pentagon and many other areas of the 9-11 attack, seven Mm -hmm. uh, different points um, uh, to include in the new report. So in a nutshell, uh, that's what we did. And I hope you'll also ask about the exciting events that the lawyers committee put on, uh, just a few days ago for the anniversary.
0: Sure. I just want to get a, a little bit more, uh, you know, into the, uh, what's in the petition itself. And my understanding is that you've pretty much highlighted, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, evidence regarding the collapse of the towers. Thank
2: you. Uh, The most important thing is for all of your listeners uh, to read the petition and the evidentiary exhibits for themselves. And that's very simple to do. You simply go to the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry website, and that link is lc4, that's lcfor911.org, lcfor911.org. And in the horizontal menu at the top, click on grand jury petition, pull down the drop-down menu, and you can click on and read the actual text of the grand jury petition, and another link in the pull-down menu is for all of the evidentiary, 57 evidentiary exhibits. Bottom line of what's in the exhibits Mm -hmm. is mostly the information on the World Trade Center collapses due to all of the evidence of pre-placed explosives and incendiaries. Much of it, if not most of it, uh, from the uh, collated from the work of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, but also other sources. Um, so mm-hmm. that is the main evidence in the petition, but I would like to point out to people that also featured in the petition, very important that few people in America or the world know, and that is uh, featured in the petition and the grand jury exhibits, the grand jury petition exhibits are is the evidence that there were massive explosions in the deep basement levels of both of the Twin Towers before a plane hit either tower, now that's really important. Okay. So all of that's in the petition and the exhibits. I remember that
0: uh, there was a book that came out called *Crossing the Rubicon* by Mike Rupert, and he referenced you specifically and credited you for putting him onto the uh, the war games exercises, which he argues paralyzed aircraft intercept uh, response. And that book was. For a time, the best-selling book on nine eleven after the official report, it was laid out as a legal brief, laid out means, motive, opportunity, and uh, was it named names and was never sued for libel. So uh, I was wondering, like, what uh, you know, if there was any deficiencies that uh, there would, why you wouldn't include that material in your uh, petition because it does seem pretty incriminating. Would you not agree?
2: Um, In a nutshell, the answer to your question is the grand jury petition on World Trade Centers 1, 2, and 7 is only the very first grand jury petition that the Lawyers Committee will be filing with the relevant federal jurisdictions. Um, We will in the future have one on the war games and the absence of NORAD response on 9-11. So don't worry. That will happen.
0: Okay. Great. So, uh, Richard, I'll get back to you um, just in other details. I mean, your group has been moving along. Uh, you've got over 3,000 architects and engineers petitioning for a new investigation. Um, but you're also lobbying uh, nonstop, I believe, uh, legislators. In fact, as we speak, if I'm not mistaken, talk about the progress you've had in terms of uh, getting uh, Congress people involved in, with the... Uh, Uh, the Bobby McIlvain Act, and uh, whether there's any uh, significant support there.
1: We, after the conference, uh, press conference yesterday morning, we took Christopher Joy, this brave fire commissioner, who led the call uh, for fire commissioners and firefighters all throughout New York, to to join them in demanding a new investigation, he went with us to Congress. And we had uh, uh, meetings with uh, a couple of dozen offices altogether set up by our constituents. I personally uh, met with Steve King from Iowa who sat and listened to the evidence for 30 minutes. Uh, And I I was very impressed with his uh, willingness to engage and to listen and to ask uh, intelligent questions and to make observations such as that looks like a waterfall referring to the Twin Towers destruction doesn't even look like a gravitational collapse, which invited me to uh, give him all of the other evidence to support his observation there in regards to building seven. Uh, he, he says that looks like a controlled demolition, too. You know, he was new to this information. Um, he so so I, we had other similar uh, responses with the other teams uh, that went. Uh, and so I'm feeling a whole lot better about our progress. Do we have one representative or senator willing to introduce into legislation the Bobby McElveen Act yet? Not yet. We got a lot more work to do. Let's face it, Michael, this is political suicide for these congressional reps or even Trump or especially Trump right now to talk the truth about 9-11. It's just just a, a third rail still after 18 years, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, the name Cynthia McKinney comes to mind and I believe it's widely suspected that her sticking her neck out for 9/11 truth is uh, what eventually pushed her out of uh, out of Congress when she was uh, you know beaten for the Democratic nomination and that there are other people I mean even in Canada who you know it it could be a real career killer, right? So, you know Given the, uh, the elements of the, the Deep State or the Military Industrial Congress, what have you, that are determined to maintain that narrative, I mean, what reasonable grounds are there to believe that this might, this movement uh, for to, to get this Bobby McIlvain Act and, and other initiatives uh, moved forward?
2: Can I respond to that? Yes, please. Okay. The first thing I want your listeners to know, because we only have about six minutes left on this segment of the show, Um, It's very important for people to actually go to YouTube and watch the Architects and Engineers uh, press conference at the National Press Club yesterday with Fire Commissioner Goya. And I'm going to give you the um, title of that YouTube. So you just go to YouTube and in the search bar, you put in First Responders Urge 9-11 Investigation-September11, that's S-E-P-T. Period 11, 2019 press conference. And um, it's about a little bit under one hour, and it'll blow your mind. You've got to watch that. Um, I'd also like to respond to your question about Congress. Um, from my personal experience, I wrote the book October Surprise on the deep story behind the Iran side of Iran Contra, uh, which sold over 50,000 copies. And uh, over, uh, after about two and a half years, Uh, resulted in a full subpoena power reinvestigation by the U.S. Congress uh, House of Representatives uh, that was funded at a level much higher than the 9-11 Commission. And so I have personally succeeded in what architects and engineers and the whole 9-11 truth movement is trying to get to happen in Congress right now with the truth about 9-11, a reinvestigation uh, Mm -hmm. under the aegis or the umbrella of the Bobby McElveen Act.
0: Could you uh, then, just as we we close the interview, just explain to our listeners what's next for the movement uh, when we're looking forward with the legal and, and political campaign?
1: Yeah, quick response here. We, we've got um, Chris Joya is going to the New York State Association of Fire Districts, and uh, he's already made great contacts over there. He's expecting all that he's expecting a resolution also from this group. Uh, it'll, it'll be huge. Um, so very, very exciting uh, opportunities there. And then we continue to get the Holsey study, um, which uh, is uh, a major university study that we mentioned. Uh, it pulls the rug out. It, it just it exposes the fraudulence uh, of the NIST report Ah, uh, which was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people, but which covered it up um, six ways from Sunday. Well, uh, they are exposed, and, and this report, uh, which is open architecture, you can't, you can't, um, it, it's it's irrefutable. Uh, you can download its data, unlike NIST, which is a black box. You can't. Uh, Get into it. They won't even release their input data for scrutiny among the architects and engineers But this is going all across the country now this um, Alaska study uh, and we've got 20,000 engineers uh, who will be uh, Invited to respond uh, to the study and uh, Professor Holsey will hopefully be making presentations uh, uh, across the country and that'll turn the engineering and and Uh, academic and professionals uh, uh, upside down on their heads. They'll become aware that there was a third tower that collapsed on 9-11, that it was the third worst structural failure in modern history, and hopefully begin to engage. Okay,
2: Okay, and uh, Barbara, last word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, to answer your question about where we're going, what's next and what's really important, um, what's really important coming up is the synergy between Fire Commissioner Goya and the other four fire commissioners who voted unanimously for the grant for the petition to support a reinvestigation of 9-11 uh, by the US Attorney for the Southern District of New York and a new congressional investigation under the Bobby McElvain Act. The synergy of that, they are going not they're going across the country to the firemen, uh, firefighters across the country to unify them and then go to Congress. And it will be a wave, a blue wave that cannot be stopped. And it's the synergy of that organizing effort nationwide and eventually worldwide that joining with our Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiries synergistic legal actions, uh, we're going to reach critical mass.
0: We just heard from Richard Gage, AIA, founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, and from Barbara Honeger. Long time 9 11 researcher with the Lawyers Committee for 9 11 Inquiry. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. We managed to record the audio from the September 11th news conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Here's an excerpt of what Christopher Joya, fire commissioner with the Franklin Square and Munson Fire District in New York, and 9-11 first responder had to say as he announced the launch of the Justice for 9-11 Heroes campaign.
3: On the morning of September 11, 2001, I was working on the Brooklyn side of the East River just north of the Williamsburg Bridge and had a spectacular view of Manhattan and the Twin Towers. Having been an eyewitness to the attacks that day, and from being called to duty to assist the Fire Department of New York in the following days and weeks afterwards, 9-11 has never been far from my thoughts, having been burned forever into my soul. The 9-11 Commission concluded that Osama bin Laden and a group of Islamic extremists were responsible and carried out the attacks, and that was to be the end of it. Truth be told, that is far from the end of it. The 9-11 Commission was flawed, and in the words of two of its own, the chairman and the vice chairman of the 9-11 Commission, respectively, Thomas Keene and Lee Hamilton, who stated in their book, without precedent, that they were set up to fail and were starved of funds to do a proper investigation. That's their own words. They also confirm that they were denied access to the truth and misled by senior officials in the Pentagon and the Federal Aviation Authority and that this obstruction and deception led them to contemplate slapping officials with criminal charges. The final report did not examine key evidence and neglected serious anomalies in the various accounts of what happened. The commissioners themselves admit their report was incomplete and flawed, and that many questions about the terror attacks remain unanswered. Nevertheless, the 9 11 Commission was swiftly closed down on August 21, 2004. The failings of the official investigation have fueled too many half baked conspiracy theories. Some of the 9 11 truth. Groups promote speculative hypotheses, ignore innocent explanations, cite non-expert sources, and jump to conclusions that are not proven by the known facts. They convert mere coincidence and circumstantial evidence into cast iron proof. This is no way to debunk the obfuscations and evasions of the 9-11 report. But even amidst the hype, Some of these 9-11 groups, including Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, Pilots for 9-11 Truth, and the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, to name a few, raise valid and important questions that were never even considered, let alone answered, by the official investigation. The bottom line here is that the American public has not been told the complete truth about the events of that fateful autumn morning 18 years ago what happened on 9 11 is fundamentally important but equally important is the way the 9 11 cover-up signifies an absence of democratic transparent and accountable government establishing the truth is in part about restoring honesty and trust and confidence in the American political system that is why on July 24th of this year the Franklin Square Munson Fire District voted unanimously to adopt a legal resolution of support for the special federal grand jury investigation before the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York the almost 3,000 innocent people who were murdered right before our eyes that day cannot speak. So it is left up to us to speak for them and demand that their voices be heard in a court of law with subpoena power and an impartial jury to consider all of the evidence by placing 9-11 under a microscope and investigating everything and anything down to the smallest of details, with the same veracity as the recent Mueller investigation into Russian collusion, and not before a commission of political appointees who had the rules dictated to them by some of the very people who were being investigated or who had conflicts of interests and which should have led to several members of the commission to recuse themselves.
0: The architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth financed a $300,000 four-year study devoted to ascertaining whether or not fires are principally to blame for the collapse of World Trade Center 7 the afternoon of September 11th, 18 years ago. The draft study, available through a link on the AE911Truth.org website, concludes that fires did not bring down the tower. The study also concludes that the supporting columns failed nearly simultaneously. A structural re of the collapse of World Trade Center 7 was released on Tuesday, September 3rd. It is undergoing a two-month public comment period, continuing until November 1st. Joining us from the University of Alaska Fairbanks, where this research was undertaken, is the lead author, Professor Leroy Hulsey. Dr. Hulsey is a long-time member and sometime chair of the Civil and Engineering Department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. His research is in the fields of bridge engineering and effects of temperature extremes on structural systems like composite wall panels for buildings. His work blends a strong experimental component with the fundamentals of theory. Dr. Hulsey has experience expertise in mathematical modeling using state-of-the-art art methods in finite element, finite difference in theoretical solid mechanics. And uh, he joins us now from uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a great honor to have you on our show.
4: Thank you, Michael. It's a joy to be
0: here. Now, you uh, do you want to first of all uh, give us a, just a, a little bit of, a, of a, an overview of some of the methodology you use? So, you know, they, some of the I, I understand you use computer modeling and uh, some of the some other resources that uh, were uh, are in the public domain. So, could you just maybe brief our so, listeners on that?
4: Yeah. So, so what we needed to do was to try to get a very, very accurate representation of a very complex building. And, and in order to do that in today's world, if you're, if you're not doing it through some form of testing, uh, you do it by using what we call a finite element model or finite element modeling. And that basically is breaking it up into tiny little pieces and then putting it all back together uh, electronically so that you can basically simulate what that structure might feel when it's being loaded, or whatever it's being it's being subjected to. So we used uh, two, three programs, pri- primarily three programs, to to do well four actually to do that. We began first of all uh, to uh, utilize a program called AutoCAD, and that AutoCAD was utilized for the purpose of taking the um, the plans, which were the erection drawings, the steel erection drawings. And, and taking those that would have been used to build this building with to, uh, to put that into a letter, electronic form so we could duplicate what that building actually was in the real world. And, and we did that uh, by taking those and, and, and painstakingly taking those day by day until we had the entire 47 stories in this three-dimensional AutoCAD model that was pretty important because that enables us enabled us to check the erection drawings to check whether it went together well all those kinds of things and it enabled us to also see if if we made a mistake or because of this type number or any number of things we would see it automatically and we'd see it in the in the details so once we we had taken that uh, we and and by the way before I even get there too much, I need to tell you that I first of all, established a very strong quality control program because science was going to drive everything that we're doing, and not opinions, not what other people have said, but, but science. And in order to do that and do it accurately, I needed to be sure that every day each one of us took our stuff and laid it before the other, and then we, we openly, positively criticized each other's work until we were 100% sure that, that, that day's our previous day's effort was correct before we'd move on to the next. And so it, once we had the three-dimensional model put together, then we began to <laughs> import that into uh, SAP 2000, which is a computer model for structural analysis that's uh, quite uh, quite rigorous and it's quite capable. Uh, we also utilized uh, a really, really a- excellent uh, program in Finite Elements, which was, which was Abacus, fairly high learning curve, it's very capable of doing just about anything you want to do in this, in this region, and if it doesn't, you can write algorithms to it to actually make it stronger and more capable. So we utilized it where we needed to, and we utilized SAP where we needed to uh, do long, long runs and, and heavy simulations so that we could uh, get, get the job done more quickly app was a little easier to put into a model than it was in Abacus, but we used Abacus a lot for a lot of things, and I'll I'll share with you what that meant when we go through here. And then we had another program called SolidWorks, which is basically another finite element uh, modeling scheme for mechanical engineers that enables us to really get a good handle on heat transfer and some of the other things that we were looking at uh, trying to, uh, as we Began to look at this whole phenomena, so, and so from that uh, we then uh, use those tools to be able to look at the details. And I'll I'll stop here and, and allow you to go ahead and uh, talk, ask questions about. Yes, what, what you
0: we did that. you're you're mentioning, of course, a, a very careful uh, science based approach, and and I guess that leads me to to, to a question I want to put you. Uh, you know how you mentioned that the fire could not have been the primary cause of the collapse. And that uh, also you mentioned the collapse of World Trade Center 7 was, quote, a global failure involving the near simultaneous failure of every column in the building, unquote. Now, uh, unlike AE911 Truth, uh, you exclude any mention of controlled demolition or explosives as a possible mechanism. So, I mean… I, it's, it's hard to imagine another another possibility but i mean I'll, I'll just put it to you is is there any other conceivable uh, albeit yet to be tested mechanism that that could possibly have resulted in in that observable collapse pattern
4: well i guess i'm not i guess i'm not going to answer that question okay but let me let me address it a little bit differently so hopefully you're going to be satisfied with what i say um, when i took this on i took it on with the the uh, requirement that I was going to tell the public what what did not happen with this building. And I have said, I'm not necessarily going to tell you what did happen. So at this point, I've told you, without a doubt, that it was a global collapse, meaning that all the columns would have to come out at, at uh, near, nearly... Uh, all the inner core columns came out uh, simultaneously, and then the exterior columns came out 1.3 seconds later. Uh, at that same level, four level, that uh, now you can begin to ask yourself how, what mechanisms are going to be able to produce that kind of phenomenon. And that I'm, I won't answer, but I yeah. will le- lead you there so that you can ask, uh, <laughs> you know, whoever you want to ask.
0: Yeah, about that, that kind of hypothesis is outside your role in this uh, project. I get it.
4: That, well, yeah, I, here, here's the thing. I, did, I do not want to get into a discussion about opinions. I want to leave it into the science domain, whereby we we stand by what we've done, and we want to be we've provided rigorous solutions to what we've found, and I don't want it to be painted uh, by an opinion or what could be perceived as an opinion. Okay. So um, that's so I'm so I'm going to uh, to not address that question. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So uh, let's look at some of the, the, the points that have been up on the uh, the, the the public record. Uh, I know okay. that one um, what point uh, that has been raised. Uh, uh, I um, it's uh, from firefighters' testimony that uh, that uh, had there had been uh, public testimony to the effect that they the firefighters on the ground were uh, assuming a collapse and they noticed a visible bulge on the southwest corner of World Trade Center 7 between floors 10 and 13, and firefighters had placed a transit on that spot and concluded the building was going to collapse. And uh, there's even testimony from the Deputy Chief, Peter Hayden, to the effect that, uh, and I mean, this is a quote, we saw a bulge in the southwest corner between floors 10 and 13, and uh, you could actually see there was a visible bulge. It, it, it ran up three floors, and it came down about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. By about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we realized this thing was going to collapse. Were you or NIST aware of that information, or do, you, do your simulations account for the bulge, what caused it, or if there was any way in which it might have factored into the eventual collapse?
4: So, Michael, here's the thing. <clears throat> I was not aware that they had a transit out there. Okay. I was aware that they had concerns um, for that area. But our simulations did account for the damage that was put in the southwest corner uh, by debris f- falling, uh, falling and causing fires and, and causing uh, a rupture into the columns uh, at that, in that corner. And so that is in our simulation models. Uh, we did account for that. Uh, I wasn't aware of the transit, and I, don't, I can't speak for NIST, so I don't know what they knew. I just know that uh, we accounted
0: for it. Okay. Uh, you did, uh, in your report, you did note, it, note a number of erroneous assumptions that uh, were made, what you saw as being made in the NIST report. Uh, for example, the absence of side plates on column 79, uh, the lack of flexibility in the external wall columns so that when there is thermal expansion that they would uh, push away. That That's the whole basis for the the, the collapse of the floors. Um so and and other such er- errors on the part of nist now given your expertise uh is it possible for you to characterize those mistakes i mean are they understandable oversights that to anyone you know that you know maybe you know for for whatever reason there was uh you know that they, they just missed or, or or is it something that you know was really you know something you would have given a student a failed grade for if if this had been in a student project uh, again, I, I don't know if this is putting you in the realm of opining, but I'm, I'm trying to rely on your own understanding as someone who's done this sort of forensic uh, research before. Well,
4: so, so, when you do forensic in, forensic engineering, you really, really have to be careful, and you have to pay attention to details, and you have to get down and look at every little aspect because you, you're just not sure at that point what may have produced a problem. I, I don't know the, the details of who was doing what. With NIST, uh, there may have been uh, external contractors that were doing some of this, um, but whoever it was, they, it seems to me that there, it was they, they weren't paying enough attention to these details, to these, and these were important details that uh, would have affected the end result. I don't know how they were missed, but uh, uh, and and to, to address it with a student, this is a highly complicated building. Uh, a student probably couldn't really handle any, any of this, however, if he was a PhD student and he missed all that stuff, then he he should not have, and I, I would give him a passing grade for that.
0: Mm. So would you then do you consider the, 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 these uh, omissions to be effectively uh, acts of incompetence?
4: I don't know about that. I certainly have huge oversight. Okay. Uh, and I don't know how, how it came, came about mm-hmm. or why it occurred. Okay. But the fact of the matter is it was wrong.
0: Okay. Now, some of the, the relevant information on the buildings and the debris were concealed. and dist- I mean, you, you, you were only able to access you what was in the public domain, but, I mean, you couldn't get access to uh, you know, everything that would be necessary. I mean, is it, uh, again, in your experience... Uh, is it typical for information like that at the scene of a a destruction or collapse to be concealed, or is that uh, maybe something potentially understandable, defensible?
4: Well, if you you take a look at a building collapse, uh, the very first thing the engineer is going to do is go out there and go through the debris and the uh, situation and take samples and it start evaluating uh, the conditions that are there and try to get a better understanding of what it would take to put it back together and why did it uh, come to the place it is. Uh, none of those, none of that was available to anyone that I'm aware of because it was hauled off before we even had a chance to evaluate the debris to any given degree. That's really, really unfortunate. I don't know why that happened, and I but it's really... Uh, it, it's been it was a something that you would never never ever do in a in a normal situation mm. so that's that 's one aspect of it that's really bothersome uh, The debris itself that i 've looked at is inconsistent with the kind of debris you would normally see in a failure like this uh so that that in itself is bothersome mm. uh, i don 't know what to tell you is is Uh, The first thing I would do would be go out there and take a look at this. I would also want to interview the designer, the structural engineer. I'd like to interview the contractors that were part of this whole building process. I'd like to understand the materials in detail that went into it. I would like to understand what the architect uh, and what his thoughts were at the time they put this building together. And then I would like to interview all the fire department people that I could get my hands on and... Uh, try to uh, t- to to see if there was an element that would be there that would be extremely helpful uh, though that's where I'd like to be unfortunately, it was all tied up seems to be tied up in court and um, and on, on almost all of that unavailable okay
0: now uh, another point uh, that that uh, <laughs> was quite uh, stuck out quite a bit was where you you mentioned um NIST's assumption, uh, this is from page 525 of their 2008 report, that uh, the, the, uh, the end of, the, of girder A2001, that's at the, you know, the northeast corner where it meets uh, column 79, thermal expansion is, is what's pushing it off the end, off its seat at that Way column. from the east wall. Yes. Yeah. And, and they say 5.5 inches, uh, contrary to your much smaller estimate. And then later, they readjusted that estimate to 6.25 inches when they realized the seat was 12 inches rather than 11 inches wide. And that does appear to be an attempt to make estimates to, to, to the outsider. That's, it appears to make the estimates match a predetermined result. Uh, is that something you can confirm, or are you aware of any other explanation for this adjustment that might conform with what, what are the established forensic principles and procedures?
4: No, I, I, can't, I can't justify why they would have come back and changed it unless they found that they had made a mistake. You know, and if uh, it, it's just very unusual to see that, that kind of thing happen, particularly as as the report had been
0: out, hmm. yeah. So maybe, potentially, maybe they made a They they made a mistake in some other measurement, but uh, um, they're not stating what it is. But no,
4: and so I I can't crawl into their minds about it. But, For sure, you know the fact of it is, it was pretty suspicious since five point five wouldn't have brought it down.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I think. Much of the public would, uh, you know, following from this report, they might question the reliability of NIST's earlier reports on the causes of collapses of uh, World Trade Center 1 and World Trade Center 2. Now, I, are you able to express a professional opinion? I'm not saying, you know, what you think caused those buildings to collapse, but how reliable would you say NIST's report would be based on the the failures that you've seen in this uh, the World Trade Center Seven report.
4: Well, as you probably know, I teach structural engineering and I teach uh, steel design, and um, I haven't studied those two buildings uh, to examine in detail what would have transpired to cause the, that failure. But it it doesn't seem plausible that the explanations that I've seen and read or are 100 are totally accurate. It just seems like there's something not correct in that, and it needs to be evaluated thoroughly.
0: Okay, Professor Halsey, is there any anything? What is the main take you would like our listeners to have on your reevaluation before we close?
4: Well, structural engineers um, are people that have a responsibility to design. Whatever they're asked to design. It could be a bridge, it could be a building, it could be whatever. But we have to do that with the public safety in mind. Uh, and, and it's not more than just in mind. We design in order to meet codes, and codes are there to protect the public. And we, we're, we're educated to do that. And when you end up with a failure, no matter how small or how big, you need to evaluate the cause of that failure and the reason is, you never want to see it ever happen again, because you don't want to take the chance of anybody getting hurt. And so, when you have something like this, whereby there seems to be a huge difference, of of, of well, as an example, uh, NIST has come out and said, you know, it was it came down because of fire. Yet I don't see any evidence that. Uh, a, in terms of code modifications that address other than minor, uh, uh, not structural issues that relate to a fire-caused structural failure, uh, yet uh, and, and we don't have a record of other structures that coming down by fire. So that being said, how can we how can we in good faith be operating? with a with a code that hasn't addressed that issue? Or should we be looking at what, how it might have failed in another sense, which is the study I did, that says, okay, it wasn't fire, so maybe there doesn't need to be a code modification. Yet uh, there needs to be an understanding of exactly what happened here so that at the end of the day we can protect the public. We don't want to see... Of people in an office, and all of a sudden it comes down and people get killed. That's that's just one person getting killed is too much.
0: Professor Leroy Halsey, we really appreciate your taking the time to speak to us uh, today. So thank you very much, and uh, uh, happy anniversary. Well, thank you. Appreciate You'd- it. We've been speaking with uh, Professor Leroy Hulsey. He's Professor of Civil Engineering at the University of Alaska, Fairbanks. He is the lead author of the report, A Structural Revaluation of the Collapse of World Trade Center 7. The draft report is available through a link at the website ae to the, the National Institute, Institute of board. Standards and Technology for comment on the draft report, referencing the errors Dr. Hulsey claimed the group had made. A spokesperson for NIST, Jennifer Huergo, replied with the following statement. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, stands by its findings regarding the collapse of WTC 7, which were based on our rigorous technical analyses and independent expert review. The building collapsed because fires, similar to those experienced in other tall buildings, burned in the absence of a water supply to operate the sprinklers and burned beyond the ability of firefighters to control the fires. NIST conducted the investigation with no preconceived notions about what happened. We gathered and analyzed evidence that we used to construct computer models grounded in principles of physics and using detailed data on every aspect of the building's construction and contents, as well as videos, photos, and witness accounts. We drew conclusions and validated them against the video and photographic record. Subsequently, the investigation analyses and findings were published in peer-reviewed journals and were the basis for a significant number of improvements to building codes and standards. In all, we published thousands of pages of documentation that is available in our online repository and website. Our investigation team for this building consisted of about 50 NIST, and private sector professionals with expertise in structures, fire science and engineering, metallurgy, explosives, blast analysis, evacuation and emergency response, and other technical fields. We've come to the end of another episode of the Global Research News Hour on CKUW 95.9 FM, rebroadcast on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and podcast at globalresearch.ca. Listeners wishing to leave feedback on this or any of our programs may email us at globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. My name is Michael Welch. We hope you'll tune in again next week for a show devoted to the hazards associated with 5G and the wireless phenomenon. To close this week's show, we present more audio from Fire Commissioner Christopher Joya's presentation at the Wednesday morning news conference at which first responders called on Congress to reopen the 9-11 investigation. Thanks for tuning in.
3: People lie, but the facts don't. All the American people want now, after eighteen years, is the truth based on the facts and the remaining forensic evidence and what can be proved in a court of law. That is why we were he- we are here today. Three hundred and forty three firefighters, including three of my good friends, Thomas Hetzel, Bobby Evans, and Mike Kiefer perished that day and these were some of the best and the bravest people in the world and they along with the rest of those who were murdered and died horrible deaths deserved justice